So Chris, thanks again for joining us uh, on the Backmarkers F1 show. We had you on uh, last fall in very different circumstances. And it was funny, I was checking the calendar this morning and I think around this time, if we were in a normal world, you'd be at the circuit Barcelona, the Catalonia, maybe just wrapping up some reports on uh, free practice sessions. So uh, first off, how are you doing? How are things over there in the UK? Uh, I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, yeah, I was, I was in a cafe, wasn't I, last time, I think, in, uh, in, New, in York. New York. Really, really bad audio for you. Um, so, yeah, at least it's a little bit quieter in here. But, yeah, very different now. Um, you're right, it would be, I think FP2 would be probably still be going on or just be about to finish. So, um, yeah, I'd be watching long runs uh, in the heat and probably complaining about how boring a Friday practice session is or something like that. But right now it seems like the best thing in the world to do. So yeah, missing it a lot, but, um, no, all, all good over here, really like lockdowns, not exactly fun, but, uh, making the best of it. Got a little garden to get outside when the weather's good, like it is today. Uh, been doing a lot of work, so it's not been too bad. I'm one of those who's quite lucky. I work from home when I'm not at races. So that side of it's not so much of a shock to me. It's just the lack of travel in between. That's been a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was interested in too. Because you work as a freelance journalist, I'm sure you got a lot of colleagues who are in a similar scenario. So, how has the whole shutdown and lockdown affected the freelance side of the Formula One world? Journalists, camera guys, though that sort of thing. Uh, well, it's funny you should mention camera guys because I think for photographers, it's been a lot harder. Uh, it's it, you know they've got nothing to shoot really. A few of them are trying to shoot. Uh, the esports events that are going on and kind of seeing if they can make some money that way. But for a lot of them, they're just doing nothing. You know, their income's dried up and there's nothing for them to go and take photos of. So it's been really tough for them. Um, I actually spoke to one not that long ago who was saying, yeah, he was thinking of trying to find ways of diversifying um, as a photographer, but maybe there's something else he can do so that if this kind of experience happens again or situation happens again, that he's a little bit more protected because it's been really damaging. Um, for for journalists, it's as, as a freelancer, it's not been too bad. I'm probably down about 50% of my work and income because that's all based at circuits and at races. Uh, but then it's not like someone else is taking that from you. So that's kind of on hold until we can get going again and then I obviously don't have the costs of traveling and uh, flights accommodation that sort of thing and I'm really disorganized normally because as a freelancer I do lots of different things and say yes to lots of different bits of work I actually book a lot of things very late um, so when we did that uh, last call in and I was in New York I probably booked the flight to go to the US and Mexico for those two races about 10 days maybe two weeks before actually going um, wow. so I'm, I was lucky I, I didn't have much that needed cancelling at all so I wasn't left out of pocket from cancelled flights or hotels so I, I've been lucky in that sense but yeah the workload's been about 50% in terms of income but then you ramp up trying to make sure you're making sure you're giving everyone enough value for money so that they're going to keep using you so it's, it's still been very busy but um, yeah not not too bad yeah, it must be pretty crazy because, I mean, you've been in the sport for many years now, and this is probably the most amount of time that you've had off, I mean, ever, really, from Formula One. Yeah, it's funny because you say time off, and I sort of I understand what you mean, but a lot of people have said this uh, to drivers as well or anyone who works in F1 and being like, oh, you've got all this time off. But of course, you're not off at all. You're, if anything, you're working harder. So like here, it's a bank holiday, so most people are, are actually having days off today, but I've been working. Um, but that's just being a freelancer and I don't complain because I get to kind of pick my own hours so that's actually a bonus to that side of things but you're right yeah I've not spent this long in one country uh, since it had been I think 2011 wow. would have been the last year that I spent wow. this long in one place um, and didn't get on a plane so yeah it's been it's been strange 
Okay, well, one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on here today was to talk about, obviously, the plans or, or some of the things in place that for Formula One to possibly return. So we, I think it was two weeks ago or so, Chase Carey put out that they're aiming for July 5th to restart in Austria, and they've kind of put out a map in terms of where they're going to go in each continent for the months. I think they're aiming for July and August in Europe, and then going to Asia in uh, September, and then the Americas and other parts of Asia in October, November. So as we stand of right now, do you have any insight or any word on whether we're going to get any sort of confirmation of when the season will officially begin? I, I think so. I don't have it like firmly done, but from talking to different team members more than anything, if we're going to go racing in Austria, they need to know about four to five weeks beforehand. Some of the teams wanted to know, they said six weeks they wanted to be back at work for. But realistically, I, I talked to uh, Otmar Zafnauer a few weeks ago, probably about two weeks ago, uh, and he said, yeah, look, we're, we're pretty much ready to go. Um, we'd need, four weeks would be plenty, probably could do it in like two. Uh, I do some work with Honda and from a power unit perspective, they said we can turn it around in a couple of days, you know, four or five days and we can be heading out to uh, whichever venue because the thing you've got to remember is Friday morning in Australia no car had run yet but everyone was ready to go cars were built engines were ready everything was there and has since been frozen so there's you know you don't have to replace anything there's no mileage on any of the cars from a team you know a, a car point of view an engine point of view they're ready to go so um they said, you know, four weeks would be plenty uh, for them. So if we're looking at the first weekend of July, then we'd probably be looking in about four to five weeks that they'd need to know for sure if they're going to race in Austria. But I'd imagine they'd have uh, confirmation before then because of the, the way they're talking now. They look like they're trying to iron out things like who gets to go. Some media are saying that they have to be there for journalistic integrity to report on it. And to be honest, I don't agree with that, I think they have to just approach it the safest way possible and the quickest way possible to get going again to help sort of prop the sport up and give and give fans something to watch. And I'd be so annoyed if I was a fan and I had to wait an extra two weeks because media had kicked off and they were going to you know wait a little bit longer to host a race until more people could attend it. I, I, that wouldn't wash with me. So uh, I think if they're able to go racing and media can't attend, it's a shame. It'll be frustrating, but we'll just deal with that. So uh, yeah, I reckon in the next four or five weeks, we'll, we'll know for sure. It's interesting you actually bring up that media part of it because the UFC is currently putting on a card this Saturday or by the time this comes out, it will have already passed on May 9th and they're doing virtual media days. So they just have the, the athletes stand in front of a camera and they have similar to how we're doing connect through Skype or through Zoom and they're doing their media through that way. So maybe what you're talking about, that could be a possibility where we only have a few journalists on site and then we have press conferences in a, in a virtual sense in that way. Yeah, I think, to be honest, they'd have no journalists on site other than perhaps Formula One's own broadcast crew. Uh, they might let one or two of their guys go because if you have one guy doing an interview, say if Will, Bu Will Buxton goes out there and, and does the interviews on the grid or something like that just to get some insight. Um, but they, you know, the second you have two people, then you're going to have two people plus two cameramen plus two sound guys and it just becomes a crowd. So uh, I think they'll have no uh, accredited media going initially but like you say yeah they'll, they'll do virtual press conferences so uh, media day that was uh, a Thursday would probably become uh, a Friday because it's quicker and easier and uh, they just do some interviews maybe on a Friday evening or a Saturday morning even uh, schedules would change because of course drivers won't be going off to partner events and things like that so hopefully if it does happen what it would mean is that we get a lot of access after the race that you'd get Sunday night, everyone talking. Um, you know, they're going to be traveling privately anyway. They're not rushing for set flights to get out of there. So hopefully that will mean you, you hear from everybody on a Sunday evening through Zoom or Skype or something like that. And then hopefully we get some good reaction if, it, if there's been a good race to talk about. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of when we get the season started, if we get the season started, how many races are they roughly aiming to? Or we've heard anywhere from 10, from 15 to 18. So in ballpark range, what are what's the amount of races that they're aiming for in 2020? It, right now, if you ask Chase Carey, he'd definitely say 18. That It'll be the upper level is what he wants to try and do. Um, and it's because you can't turn around yet to certain countries and say, well, you can't host one or we're not going to try and host a race with you. So you are trying to see if it can happen. Uh, and it's when it physically can't is when they'll start to drop off. So I imagine the calendar they're putting together right now will have in pencil about 18 races. And it's because some of them do make sense. I mean, you compare Bahrain and Abu Dhabi at the end of the season as a back-to-back that's minimal disruption, easier travel by then, hopefully, uh, and and the locations make them quite easy to pair together. You you can have a race, uh, a region of races in Asia, Vietnam. We need to go back to China. We need to go back to, or they're aiming to, uh, and they're working very actively because these are places that have spent a lot of money to try and host them, invest a lot in the sport. But for China's point of view, they need to show that as a country, it's improving and it's able to host things again. So they will invest. They will spend a lot of money, I think, to try and have F1 there. Uh, and from Vietnam, it was going to be their first race so they've built up to it spent all the money preparing for it they, they really want to see that happen too so there are a lot of venues that are trying hard to do it and i saw a tweet last night that uh monza obviously italy's been the center of the outbreak here in europe but they tweeted that their date was the same date as it was previously um confirmed uh, now it's not official from f1's end but you know internally they must have been told something so this they're still trying to put on i think as many of the races as close to their original dates as there were and then just fitting in some of the extra ones. But uh, the, they give the window of 15 to 18. I think we're definitely more likely to see something nearer 15. Once it goes much lower than that, I think is when it starts to cost more money uh, to Liberty in the sense of the broadcasters pay to cover the season and they have a, a minimum amount of races. And I think that's individual deals will be different. So, you know, Sky might say, this is an example, but they might say it has to be 14 or 15 races minimum. Uh, someone else might say it has to be 12. I don't know. But uh, once you do start dropping below 15, I think you're at risk of having to receive less money from the broadcaster for the, for the season, which obviously is not good right now based on how little money's coming in. Yeah, we'll want to get to the financial part just a little bit later. But it's interesting because Shaker and I, last weekend, we were talking with uh, some of the other guys in the UK about potentially which races could hold. We were kind of comparing certain countries in terms of how hard they were hit by the whole virus. And I thought it was really interesting that Monza said that they're going to hold the race the same date, no changes. We can assume it's with no fans, um, of course. But I found it interesting that, for example, like the French GP was just canceled altogether. Um, but Italy and, and countries like Spain were seen to have been pretty ambitious in terms of wanting to host the race so we have those tracks but then i'm also hearing that we might have some non-2020 tracks that might be hosting uh, events as well so can you elaborate a little bit on that and maybe which tracks in particular yeah so i think i think hockenheim actually came out uh, publicly and said we've been approached we've had some talks uh, with formula one already there's some other venues that have been willing to say that they're ready to host a race or could host a race but that doesn't mean that they've had talks so imola i think said similar and everyone would love to see f1 back at imola but i don't think that means they've had chats i think it's almost their way of saying to f1 come and talk to us we want to host a race and so it's a little bit cheeky in a sense uh the same with um in portugal circuit de algarve that's now got homologation to host f1 races and that's a that's a great venue so there's a few more they're going to be european based because it'll be early on when you can't have fans when travel's difficult if you can keep it european based you can have a few more races that's what they'll be targeting um but part of it comes down to whether f1 is willing to 
sort of take any risks anywhere and it shouldn't be at the moment after what happened in Australia they've got to be very careful so they've got to go to places that that they know they're going to be pulling pulling it off and pulling it off safely and that means a new venue that you haven't raced at before might be a bit risky because you can't go do a recce quite now and you know you can't check everything. You're not aware of the the area and the region quite so well compared to a venue you've used recently like Hockenheim. So that's why some of these are being talked to. Uh, also just to explore the avenues in case something like with the French Grand Prix, that was because uh, the president said, no, we're not going to have any mass events that where there's a gathering of people until I think the end of August or maybe even later uh, and completely ruled out the summer um, for the French Grand Prix to happen. And I think it basically went beyond the point where if we were going to have a season they'd have probably looked to have left Europe already. So um, that was just government advice that ruled that one out rather than F1 saying or the or the promoter saying that they didn't want to host it. So that's why it kind of fell that way. But also now the race hosting fees are different if they're going to be any at all. So places like Imola, places like Hockenheim that couldn't afford to put on an event because they weren't making enough money. Uh, obviously, that was also related to fans coming in, how much they could spend, where they could stay. Do you have the infrastructure around the circuit to host up to 100,000 fans, you don't have that problem when you're having a race behind closed doors. So it becomes much more simple as, can we fit all our cars on there uh, and a skeleton crew? And can we go racing safely and, and broadcast it? That's what you have to worry about. So that's why there's there's more options now. Very interesting. And for us, obviously, being in Canada, we're very kind of looking closely at the Canadian Grand Prix. Obviously, it was postponed from the June 12th to 14th date. Um, and then when I looked at the map of what F1 put out, they said that they're looking at the Americas and Asia in October and November. And anybody in Canada will know that October and November, we could get anything from sun to snow to ice to whatever. So, yeah, we got snow today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what is it today? May, May 8th, May 8th. Yeah, May, May 8th. And it's yeah. minus six overnight. And like Shaker said, we're getting some snow. So it, it can get crazy. And it's May, right? So. In your opinion, do you think that they're going to try and squeeze in the Canadian Grand Prix? Because a fall setting in Montreal, it would be beautiful, but weather conditions are a whole nother story. So could they just be canceled altogether for 2020? It's a weird one because I always find this strange about Formula One. I don't get why we're so precious about the weather because the best races happen in the wet. So if you go somewhere where it's more likely to be wet, so what? I understand if you're going like monsoon season somewhere, then you might might not be able to drive a car. Uh, similarly, if you went to Montreal in December, likelihood is it's going to be an ice skating rink that you're racing on, and that's not going to be safe at all. But I don't think having it colder than we would like and wetter than average is actually a problem i think it's great so i feel like we should test okay. these things a little bit more and i do wonder if this will be the scenario where they'll look at that um if we had canada i think it'll be the first one on the sort of america's section so it would be canada then mexico then austin or then austin mexico whichever way around they want to do those two um and I do think they'll look to fit it in. I, th I saw, I think it was on Reddit, that uh, ticket holders got sent a survey saying about their thoughts of having the race in the fall. So I do think it's something they are looking at. But you're right, it's a very small window. It's going to be uh, pretty much guaranteed to be October time. And it's whether they're willing to take that risk. But given the current circumstances, I think they'd say they are willing to take that risk. If there's value in it for the promoter, if there's value in it for the teams, and there's value in it for F1... The teams aren't going to go there and complain about the weather if they've been given the option and been said, look, you know, this can earn you a bit more money and you need it right now. So shall we give it a go? And who knows? You know, if, if you do get a great race and it's, a, you know, teams will have to adapt, they'll have to work out how to run their cars in colder conditions, perhaps. But they, they run them in 
extreme heat conditions or altitude. It's just another test. And, and that normally throws up variables, mix up a race. So I, I'm all for it, even if hopefully I'd get to go, even if I'd be freezing. <laughs> you probably would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I didn't actually think of it that way. But because I remember, I think it was two years ago in, in Barcelona for winter testing, it snowed one morning and it was very cold. Yeah. And, you know, we could get yeah. similar conditions that way. So yeah, um, I, I did fill out that uh, that survey from the Canadian Grand Prix promoters and they were sort of asking questions, you know, as a fan, would you feel comfortable with uh, this? You know, what would you like to see? It was more just kind of questions in terms of sanitization and if they were to hold the race. So they were asking those kind of questions and just to kind of give some people some backstory, Quebec was kind of one of the more harder hit provinces in Canada in terms of the virus outbreak. They had sort of a lot of deaths in the long-term care homes and things like that. But uh, I'm assuming that probably by October we'd be opened up because we're slowly starting to open things up here as well in Canada. So possibility that fans might be able to come there. But um, yeah, interesting. I think that a cold or, or a somewhat of a snowy wet weather race would be would be interesting in Montreal for sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be keen for that. I, I did um, an interview with the photographer I was saying that I was chatting to uh, a bit earlier and he shoots uh, the WEC and he was talking about the time he went to Spa for the six hours when Alonso was racing for Toyota and it snowed properly. Right. He actually put it, it's a guy called James Moy, he put it all over his um, Instagram. So it's, it's at F1 Photographer if anyone wants to look it up. But he put it up recently, a bunch of pictures on his story of him like freezing in the snow, pit stops in the snow, like the car's going up by Rouge in the snow. And it was heavy snow falling. Obviously the track was warm enough given the running that was going on that it didn't stick to the track. But you're talking like really thick snow falling and it looked incredible. They got the race done. Um, you, you just adapt. So I, I, I'm all for it. I kind of want to see that more now than I do. Just want yeah, to see like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, was it um was it also in Barcelona that same year that uh I think it was Racing Point that put out I don't know if it was a meme or if it was real, but they had the tire with the spikes. Yeah. I don't know if a, you guys remember seeing that. If yeah, that was that real was, or not. It but. was it was it was fake, but we've had that before. I, I remember actually a chat I had at testing once. So it wasn't snowing this time, but it was in Barcelona, and it was when Caterham were in the sport. And I was talking to their um their head of communications and he was saying it's when they had an exhaust that looked like it was illegal the way they were running it but it was pre-season testing uh, so I said to him I was like you know people are asking about the legality of this is it because it's testing are you fine to run it and he's like yeah it's pre-season testing there's no rules we can run a snowplow on the front if we want um, I remember thinking that and being like well here we go let's just add that to the regs if we get a race where it's really bad we'll have snowplows on the front wing perfect imagine the spray it looked incredible <laughs> That means we'd get like 10 races a year over here. It'd be perfect. Oh, I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point, anything any, anything that involves Formula One racing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were talking about the financial part of it earlier, you know, how journalists were affected and photographers and everything. But now getting on to the teams, like this is such a crazy time in terms of sport just shutting down globally. I think they were throwing around some numbers of billions and billions of dollars being lost just in sports alone. So in terms of the teams, the 10 teams that we have, are we at risk of losing any teams going in the future? Will the teams be able to recover from this whole whole mess that's been going on? So to answer the first part first, yes, we are completely at risk of losing teams. But to answer the second part, yes, they can recover too. It, it does depend on um, how the sport reacts as a whole. Now, the budget cap talk, that's been sensible. I think not enough has been made of the fact that we've delayed the new cars to 2022 because a big problem originally was that the 2021 car would have been delivered this year and all the teams were 
going to be doing this uh, with no restrictions on spending this year. So they've gone crazy because then the restrictions hit next year. So that first car you you put out was going to be the the most you could ever spend on a car, uh, you know, again in Formula One. So that saved them a lot of money by pushing that back and freezing stuff. So you're essentially now looking for a much smaller budget just to run, just keep the team ticking over for the next 12 to 18 months almost. Uh, So that's a good thing. But the teams are getting no income right now from F1. Uh, the accounts came out yesterday from Liberty Media for Q1, which was only up to the end of March. So there was only two races in that period that, that should have happened. Uh, and obviously they didn't, but it meant that their uh, revenues for, for F1 were down 84%. It was something like 246 million down to dollars. This is down to 30 something million. Um, so it was a huge hit. And it means they paid the teams nothing. There have been no advance payments to the teams. So they're definitely going to need help um, and Liberty are going to be willing to help I think if teams are going to go to the wall but they're also not going to you know put themselves at risk if by doing that so there's only going to be certain amounts of help and what the teams need to see is that if they can get through this period that it's a much better future for them if if they're going through it and in 12 months time they're still someone like Williams you know Williams do need money and if they still need and have a big need of money in 12 months time then why are they doing it now you know what are they desperately clawing their way through and probably taking on debts and risks and selling things off to be in the same position in 12 months they need to do that in the knowledge that things will get better and that's the bit that f1's really trying to work on at the moment and that's where you get this kind of um tension i think between the bigger teams and the smaller teams because the bigger teams have made big concessions and it is damaging to them but they still are going to be operating at a level far above what the smaller teams can do because with the lack of income, the smaller teams have become technically becoming even smaller. They're shrinking. So, um, yeah, it does need some pretty serious um, concessions from the big teams to make sure that we keep all 10. And we do need some racing. As much as Liberty admit there's a chance we don't get any this year if the global situation worsens again, say everyone comes out of lockdown and and there's another spike and we can't get any races in, then I do think we would... I'd be amazed if that happened and 2021 came around and we still had all 10 teams. Yeah, I remember back in Australia, you were one of the main journalists that were saying that you'd find it very difficult to believe if they cancelled the whole season altogether because obviously it'd be a, a ton of losses there. So maybe on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think are the chances that they just say, you know what, we're going to cancel the entire season. It's just too much trouble to try and figure out where we're going to go and where the races are going to be. What do you think the chances are that they just cancel it all together? On a scale of 1 to 10, zero. Uh, yeah, I just <laughs> I just don't see them doing it at all. Uh, they, it, it might be that the situation overtakes them and, and we can't get racing on, but up until the 31st of December, they'll be trying to find a way of holding some sort of event that will make money. Um, and get get these cars out on track. So uh, I'd, I'd be, yeah, there's, there's no way they're going to completely write it off. And someone like Bernie Eccleston's been coming out and saying, oh, that's what I'd do. And he wouldn't, 100% he wouldn't. But he can say that now because he's not in control anymore and he knows how hard it is for the people that are in charge because it's out of their hands. And I don't think Liberty have done everything brilliantly in their time in F1 so far. I, I've been a fan of theirs in general, but there's a lot, of, a lot of things that haven't quite worked and the handling of Australia was terrible. But they... They are certainly right to be ploughing ahead, trying to cram in as many races as they can. Because if you don't try that, then you're never going to hit that number. Now, I don't think even they expect to hit 18. They want to. They're going to try to. But what they do know is by doing that, they're going to get in as many races as is physically possible. Uh, Whereas if you go, all right, we'll write it off, then you've given yourselves no hope of of having any events. Or if you say, we're just going to try and fit in 10 or 8 because that makes a championship. But 
what if you could have got 10 in or 12 in then there's a load of money that's been missed out on that could save the team so um, yeah they've, they've got to take that approach and at the end of the day, I mean, who, who makes the decision when in terms of like, let's say the Austrian race, for example, July 5th, is it the FIA? Is it the FIA and F1 in coordination with the governments of that specific country? I mean, altogether, who makes the final decision on any race going ahead? Uh, it will be the the government, actually. It, right now, I think Formula One and the FIA together, if if they're told, yes, you can go and do it, um, then the FIA are like, fine, you organise it. Yeah, we'll make sure it runs safely in terms of on track. Um, that's, that's their role. Uh, Formula One will then go and spend the money they need to spend to get everyone out there on private jets and, and arrange private transport. Because this is what they're thinking of doing. You know, people get tested before leaving. Once they've got the all clear, they're on private transport to an airport where they fly on a private flight out to Austria because there's, there's an airfield right by the circuit and I'm we're talking 500 yards away from the entrance to the track. Um, oh, wow. And then they, they go on a coach to a hotel that'll be just for F1 people. Uh, they'll be tested again while they're there. They'll then go into the circuit on a private coach again. Everyone will be sort of shuttled around in, in private, essentially. Uh, now, that's that's all doable from F1's perspective, but only if they're allowed to fly people out there and, and book those coaches and things, and that will come down to the local government. And if if the, the local government will want it to happen because it's it reflects their country in a better light, that, yes, things are improving, we've dealt with this this crisis quite well, we're opening up again, it's, it's actually a really important marker to start hosting some form of event. But if they do it too soon and they start, you know, there's there's an outbreak again because of it. Then they're going to look stupid be- because they allowed Formula One to come in and and potentially influence that. So it's all about doing it safely. But that's why it'll be the, the government's call. And if they get the green light from the government, then uh, F1 and FIA will be all systems go. And do you think that maybe part of it also will help Formula One? I, I know I heard that Bundesliga, for example, are, are looking to resume in a few weeks' time. Of course, I mentioned before UFC is hosting a bunch of events in Florida in the coming weeks or so. So do you think that maybe if other sports leagues can show that they can hold events safely, of course, without any fans in the beginning, that maybe F1 and other governments would be more willing to proceed ahead knowing that, okay, we can do this safely? Yeah, definitely. I think you're right to actually reference the Bundesliga. That's going to start, I think, next week um, in about seven days or eight days, which is exciting because there's going to be some sport to watch. I think the K-League in Korea football started today. Um, So there are things that people now can see how it works and learn from it and get a bit of a blueprint. But I think the just the, the proximity of Germany and the Bundesliga to Austria and the Austrian Grand Prix is actually crucial. And if, if big events can be held in Germany, then there will be lessons that can be learned from that from a safety point of view that uh, Formula One will then in, uh, implement to make sure Austria happens. And if that then happens, again, you've got a blueprint, use that at Silverstone. You can use that maybe in Hungary, which looks like it's going to still try and happen in August at some point, but they've got certain deadlines the government are imposing. But once you've got those blueprints that show it can happen safely, uh, aided by the sports as well, then the governments are more likely to let them happen. So you might have to take it to somewhere where right now says you can't have a race. Like you say, France has already said they're not going to do it. But imagine that was maybe more up in the air. If you could say, look, we've had it safely in Austria, safely in uh, Silverstone. Let's have a race in France at the end of September. Then they're more likely to say, yeah, go for it. You, you've proven you can do it. So that's what you need these other sports to do as well. And and from a racing point of view, obviously, it looks like uh, NASCAR, I think, in the next weekend, they're going to give it a go. Uh, IndyCar are going to be doing it in about a month's time, early June. So again, these are things that will have happened with a good lead time, a good four to six weeks before F1 needs to go racing that F1 can then learn from. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a good point for sure. Um, I think it was uh, June 6th for IndyCar at the uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Um, yep. Texas is uh, opening up pretty rapidly. So, um, yeah, and one of the final things sort of on the whole lockdown situation was just driver contracts, for example. Silly season was anticipated to be pretty wild uh, this summer with all the drivers out of contract heading into next season. So how does that affect for 2021 and beyond? And then the other part of that question is, for for example, Aston Martin, who were supposed to come in in 2021, and I believe are still planning on coming in uh, as scheduled. So how does it affect that side of things? Like sponsors, for example, Williams had a bunch of new sponsors come onto the car this year and other teams as well. So first, how does it affect the driver contract situation? And then the other side of business, which is sponsors and, and different things like that. So the driver contract situation is quite interesting because I think as it stands, we you know we've had no announcements of anyone else extending a deal or anything like that. Everyone's sitting and waiting to see how this year plays out, and not based solely on competitiveness of their car, but just because they don't know if you sign a contract for 2021, you don't know sort of what Formula One will look like in 2021. So they they're waiting for that to sort of settle down. I think the big difficulty is if we have any races that run into January which has been mentioned as potential uh, but contracts will end at the end of December so there will need to be initial negotiations with drivers that just say look we're going to add a month on your contract um, but that will be simple because that's going to be the same for everyone and unless one unless you know two teams can agree they're going to swap their drivers in in January then it which you know, would be pointless realistically um, then everyone's just going to say look 2021 January 2021 essentially is the same as the rest of 2020 so everything just gets automatically extended but I think we're going to be waiting till racing restarts uh, before we start getting contract movement um, there will have been talks going on I'll be amazed I mean Lewis Hamilton looks like he's somewhere in Asia I think at the moment so he's probably not been talking too frequently with Toto Wolff about his deal but it sounds like Seb Vettel's been talking to Ferrari about his a little bit uh, that there, there will be groundwork done but I don't think anyone will make any decisions until we get back racing again and it would just mean that that driver market that we're used to seeing explode kind of in the summer and maybe even over the summer break will be backloaded and it'll be more like September October before people start doing it but it's because right now there's so much uncertainty it's normally people want certainty in their lives in terms of I want to sign a contract for next year and know what I'm doing and when where I'm doing it but because the sport itself is so uncertain. I think that's been removed a little bit for all the drivers, so they're willing to wait a little bit longer. So we could still have a great driver market. It'll just be later in the year. I'm hoping we do anyway, because it, it was going to be a great storyline with all the all the drivers that were out of contract. Uh, for, for teams, you're right that I think there's going to be some sponsors that are kind of trying to ride it out themselves and probably aren't paying quite as much because they're not being seen on the side of a car. But essentially, if again, if everyone can cram in enough races over the year, if, if they signed a contract that said that team will race in at least 15 races in 2020 and everyone can put on 15 races, then they should get their money. Um, that That's another reason why they're going to want to try and get as many races in as possible. It's, that way helps the teams too. So uh, some, some of them, I think, will be a little bit damaged by it. But on the whole, because this isn't just F1 having a crisis, this is the whole world having a crisis, I think teams are probably being kind of respectful to their partners and understanding, okay, look, you know, we're not giving you the value you were expecting, but the partners are similarly going, well, okay, it's not your fault. So I don't think it's going to kill any relationships there. It just might be some renegotiations are needed in terms of how much is, is going to be spent. Okay. And I feel like there's one other part and I can't remember it because I was rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Um, I, I think I just mentioned Aston Martin. They're still planning to come in as they were. Yes, yeah. So I spoke to Otmar Zafnauer specifically about that um, the other week. And 
the problem they've got is they can't build their factory right now. So they, they've done a lot of the planning. Uh, they then redid a lot of the planning uh, work for the new factory once Aston Martin was definitely going to be involved because they wanted to make the new Racing Point factory, which will become the Aston Martin F1 factory, reflect the Aston Martin road car factory that already exists. So it's, it's seamless and it's definitely the same company. So they had to do a lot of work for that. But by the time they've uh, planned all of that and had those meetings, this country's been in lockdown here in the UK and they've not been able to start building work yet. So when they originally wanted to get their new factory done by August in 2021, they're now already two months behind, maybe three months behind. It's going to be at least six months later, I think. So they're looking more like the winter to early 2022 uh, that that factory will be ready. But essentially for the car... All it needs is, you know, they, they officially declare to the FIA, they're changing their name, they do that anyway, you know, do that via an email, by, via a form, and they will uh, have a, a new livery and a new branding. And all of that you can be do, doing sat at home on your laptop right now. So, uh, yeah, that won't change at all. And, and if anything, they'll be more keen to do it because that's, you know, added visibility for the car brand that really needs it at the moment because no one's buying cars at the moment because no one can go out to a showroom to buy one or anything like that and no one can drive anywhere so car sales here were down like 99% in the first quarter or something like that or new car sales um, so yeah they're, they're going to want that visibility so if anything it's probably made them even more eager to enter next year Aim, I was just about to buy an Aston Martin and then <laughs> and this lockdown comes in so I'll have to wait a little longer um, Shaker do you have any final questions for Chris in terms of the whole lockdown situation are you holding up <laughs> not not too bad like it's it gets it gets a bit frustrating sometimes i won't i won't lie um but i can still go out and have like the old run to try and stay fit although i went for one today and because it is a bank holiday here so everyone's off oh well, most people yeah. are off uh, i did i did another podcast and some work this morning thought i'll go out for a run now and it was so busy with other people thinking well it's oh, a lovely wow. day today's the day to get our little bit of exercise in and you're trying to make sure you're staying two minutes apart it was carnage so that gets weirdly frustrating because i know i was part of the problem so i couldn't get too angry but um yeah it's, it's all a bit strange when you go outside uh but yeah it, it's not been too bad it would just be nice to be able to kind of go somewhere and and sit without worrying about you know social distancing and stuff like that and just have just have some distance between what becomes your bubble well, I, I don't know if to say for you guys but you now you work from home obviously eat sleep at home you never escape the same four walls and it, it's it's a little bit tiring i think the weird thing for me is like throughout the day i'll look outside and everything will be empty and i'll look like an hour later and everybody all at once will be out for their walk and every like it's just packed right away within the hour just weird seeing the differences throughout the day when you look outside and then yeah obviously staying home just gets to you <laughs> yeah it's it's strange isn't it because in, in one sense there's so much you can do like when yeah. I, I'm, I'm not so i've started playing a bit of uh, gt sport and doing a bit of online racing but there's even times i'll come up and i'll just, be, I'll just look at it and be like oh, i don't know if i can be bothered right now but then I won't do anything else. And normally I'd have killed to be able to be told, you know what, you've got loads of time to play some games. But suddenly you just don't have that motivation to do it because what you want to do, you can't do. Um, so, And if I was outside right now, I'd probably be thinking, oh, I don't play enough GT Sport. I'd love to I'd love to be spending some more time doing that. But you know, if it wasn't lockdown situation. So it's just that kind of you know, wanting what you can't have to sort of situation to deal with. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because I know you're a huge sports fan outside of Formula One. I mean, when you're traveling, you go to NBA games, NFL games, obviously soccer as well. So with no sports, like it's 
for us too, we're the same. Like we love watching soccer and tennis and basketball and there's nothing on. So, I mean, it's just from sports fan perspective, it's like you try and watch some classic races or some classic matches, but you kind of get tired of that as well. And, um, you know, just on the sim racing front, there's been a lot of drama in the past couple of weeks in the sim <laughs> racing world with like Lando Norris and Simon Pagino and everything. So have you been following any of the, the virtual racing and, and what's your thoughts on it? Oh, big time. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah, I'm so missing like real sport that even uh, though I don't think sim racing fills it completely, uh, that's still better than nothing. So I've been tuning into the official F1 events and the IndyCar events to see how those go. And the actual, the first, I think I missed the first official IndyCar event and then watched all of them until uh, Indy last weekend and then caught up with it a bit, bit later. I think we were just doing dinner or something. Something was in the way at the time. So um, I sort of came and caught up with it. I was like, oh, it blew up a little bit. And then Sunday hit it over here and it really blew up. And I think it's the point where a lot of F1 fans were sort of getting very angry about stuff and not everyone had watched it on the Saturday evening here in the UK. So um, there was no right reply from uh, Simon or anyone on the IndyCar side because they were all still asleep. But there's a lot of people that get angry on this side. who, I think didn't have the knowledge of IndyCar to actually at least kind of respect the incident, if that makes sense. Because you love it when, if it happens in F1, you get a controversial clash, then you have two sides to it. But, you know, everyone who's having that argument, they know who the other person involved is. They have a kind of level of respect for who it is. You know, say it was Vettel and Hamilton colliding. You know, they, they know these guys, are, what they do, and they know their histories. But there's a lot of new young fans, obviously, being backers of Lando, who, who don't know Simon and don't really know uh, IndyCar as well. So there was um, a bit of an uneven battle going on there. But yeah, so I then actually spoke to Lando on the Monday. I did an interview with him and it was hilarious talking to him about it, actually. Uh, it, it clearly annoyed him. But I think he was surprised at how much it blew up. And the problem is, because there's nothing else going on, people keep asking him about it. And I said to him, you know, I know I'm part of the problem again here, but I'd asked him a bunch of questions about it. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to talk about it, but he was happy to once I'd asked the question. He was being polite. Uh, but everyone's done it all week. So some people are saying, I'll oh, just let it go. It was a week ago. He's still whining about it. But he's only answering the questions because we're asking. And we're only asking because yeah. there's nothing else going on. Right. So... Um, so someone who speaks to him, say, today, nothing else has happened for them to ask you about. That is the last thing. Whereas, as you say, if we'd have been in Spain and we just had Friday practice, something might have happened in Friday practice that is worth talking about or whatever. So uh, that's why that's happened. But yeah, I've been following it keenly. I have been enjoying it. Uh, but I'm just desperate for for real sport to come back. I'm going to be all over the NASCAR race uh, next weekend. Definitely going to be watching that. Although awkwardly, so it's funny that IndyCar's going racing at Texas because my only NASCAR race has been at Texas Motor Speedway about okay. two years ago uh, with two guys from ESPN. We went after the Mexican Grand Prix. And uh, it was great fun, but Kyle Larson stood out as having a great... He, he won a different race, I think, on the Friday night and we'd seen what had happened. And then we were there Saturday, Sunday and watched him and he was he was entertaining. He didn't win either race, I don't think, but he had, he had a couple of good runs. Yeah. Uh, so I made him like my driver. Uh, and... <laughs> And another guy had, he picked, um, this guy Lawrence at ESPN picked Chase Elliott because he was involved with the Denny Hamlin spat and ran a Hooters sponsored car sometimes. And he just thought that was cool. <laughs> uh, and I can't remember who Nate Saunders picked, but we all had our own driver, basically. We had to get into it that way. And yeah, so I've always sort of mentioned Kyle whenever he's doing something good. And then obviously Whoops. what happened happened with him and everyone's like, isn't that the guy you like? I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so that ruined it for me a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah I'll, be, I'll be watching when that gets going again and IndyCar as well when that gets going. But just, just anything really. You, you mentioned liking other sports, my football soccer team. 
was having a very good season and looked like they could get promoted and then it got stopped. So right now, I don't know what happens there. We're still waiting to hear about that. But they're only a small team, so the main thing is trying to survive the whole thing. Um, it's just very well, they're, bizarre. They're saying for like August-ish, right? July, August, for them to pick it back up for the season? I know that was for some, some of the news. Yeah, some of the bigger leagues, I think. But for So for the, the level that my club's at, it's... Uh, five levels or four levels below the Premier League. So it's oh, quite okay. a long way off. It used to be higher, but we've had a bad run. And, <laughs> um, and they've, they've cancelled the league already in terms of the rest of the season results aren't oh, happening okay. uh, or matches aren't happening. But they'll do, they're working out how to finalise the season. So as it stands, we're in the playoffs. Uh, the, the team that wins the league goes up, gets promotion automatically. I know it's different compared to uh, North American sports, but normally if you're in, in the UK sports lot, we have promotion and relegation and, and clubs and teams can move around the different divisions. So uh, the top team go up automatically and then the next, I don't know, five or six uh, fight it out in the playoffs. And we're in that group, but we're sat yeah. here waiting to find out if they're going to do the playoffs or not. So it's it's just so strange because yeah. in a weird way, you've had such a gap now. It's the same with F1. It, there's been such a gap that it just feels... I don't know, you've lost a bit of attachment to it. So it's kind of, you've got to get back into it again when it actually does restart. Yeah. No, I feel you. Yeah. You know, Euros will be starting up in three weeks now, three or four weeks, so. Yeah, yeah that would have been fun. That would have been a lot of so, fun. Yeah. yeah. It was the same way with us. Like, I was following the Toronto Raptors very closely this season and they were playing really, really well. And like, now it's gotten to be a point where I, I feel like Kawhi Leonard's still on the team. It's been so long since I've seen them play. <laughs> I'm like, I totally forgot. Like, it's just, yeah, it's all over the place. But yeah, the, the eSports stuff is very interesting. Like, Charles Leclerc was getting involved with it. Even Vettel got a rig, I think, last week and was doing one of the Legends races as well. So it's, yeah, it's like you yeah. said, at this point, you're just trying to watch anything. And I'll, I'll give props to the IndyCar because I watched the, the Coda race on NBC a couple weeks ago. And... It, it was really good, actually, the, one, the race mm. that Lando Norris won and the broadcast quality and the whole racing and everything. So I was, I was pretty impressed. But at the end of it, I was just like, okay, it's time for real racing now. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> it kind nice of to see that. But yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, to be fair, the IndyCar one, I think, has probably been the best one. The NASCAR one was good, too. Um, but F1's obviously done it a different way. They couldn't get all the drivers. They couldn't get rigs to all the drivers early enough. Um, they couldn't get them to everyone just based on their locations. Certain, like Pierre Gasly, he's stuck in Dubai, can't get a rig. Um, so not everyone can get involved. Plus, with drivers all over the world, the connection issues of trying to make sure everyone can race together cleanly and not have lag and stuff like that is really difficult. So essentially, they've gone for people based in Europe only and then tried to increase the grid with other stars to bring in interested other sports fans. So we've got a lot of soccer players this week. We had golfers, we have cricketers. Um motorcycle riders just anyone I I, I kind of like that approach but it clearly means they're not doing it the same way that IndyCar did and I was really impressed with IndyCar how realistically uh, realistic they made that it, it definitely hooked me in as well yeah definitely okay so the final question that we have is uh, just on your podcast you were mentioning it earlier before um, so when did you start the podcast and how did that whole process come about I was inspired by you guys so um, no, to, be, to be fair one thing is I, I see a lot of other people do good podcasts and um who just really commit to it and i my problem was with travel all the time i was like oh, i can't guarantee i can do it all the time like it wasn't that i thought well what can i say that might be interesting but i always felt that my position was better a bit like this where i could provide some insight rather than having to find other people 
that could do the same because realistically it would be drivers team bosses that sort of thing and anytime you're traveling and you're away you can't record audio at, at racetracks you can't well you can record it you can't broadcast it so you know when you do an interview with the driver at the circuit you can, all you can use that interview for is to write it out uh, unless you're paying millions and millions of dollars to have radio rights or tv rights so i always felt like it wasn't going to be possible then obviously I had a lot of time during the lockdown. I'd had a couple of friends who'd pushed me a lot saying that I should be doing one anyway. And uh, it, it came off the back of, we did a racer podcast where we used myself, Marshall Pruitt and Kelly Crandall. So we had F1, NASCAR and IndyCar slash IMSA uh, reporters uh, all together just discussing the situation of lockdown. And I'd asked some questions from fans just before we did it to see what they wanted to know about. And we got through one of them. We didn't, we didn't have time to deal with any because of what we talked about. And I had all these questions and thought we should really answer some of these. So I thought, well, I'll just do my own podcast where I sit and answer them. And then thought, well, just me on my own would be boring. So I wrote someone in, uh, Nate from ESPN, who I get on well with. And we just had a bit of a laugh doing it. That seemed to go down quite well. So I thought, well, I'll do another one next week. And, and it just started from there, really. Um, it's just a product of lockdown, uh, like, for you guys, your your broadcast quality, yeah, broadcast quality is much better than mine with the mics you've got and stuff. So you, you've got a much uh, better standard. Whereas because of the situation right now, I can get away with kind of doing it a little bit rough and ready. Uh, people are kind of accepting of it. You can do a Zoom call or a Skype call and people don't mind if I'm um, speaking to drivers or team bosses that way. And because we're not on location, I can record it and broadcast it. So it's just kind of taking advantage of that. But um, it has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, just... Sometimes it's uh, a little bit frustrating because like, the editing process looks a bit tricky and that sort of stuff. And I've just been, I've just been, I've kept it basic. I've just gone right, start, stop, do an intro, push it out, um, and ho- and hopefully it's just been a bit entertaining. But I know a lot of people are doing podcasts this time of year as well. Uh, but you know, I guess if if people want to listen to it, they can, and if they don't, they don't have to. So uh, you know, I'm not charging anyone any money or anything like that. Yeah, you know, as you guys have found, it's just a good way of talking about things you like talking about. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've enjoyed it. You had some good interviews with, with Lando, like you said, and uh, you had Zach Brown on as well, I think, uh, was it uh, last week or or a couple of days yeah, ago? Yeah, last, last Saturday. So, um, yeah, that one got pushed. I did an interview with um, Ben Hunt from The Sun, uh, who was on the Netflix documentary on the Friday, which we were going to run, but then I got, uh, I'd been talking about doing one with Zach, and I got the green light to do that last Saturday. So that went up Saturday night. I was doing okay, but wasn't getting huge hits or uh, knowledge, you know, um, awareness of it. And then the Lando thing happened. So two days after doing the Zach one, I did Lando, and that one blew up a little bit more. Um, still, yeah, within reason because there's a lot of bigger web- websites and podcasts out there still talking to these guys. But yeah, the Zach one kind of then it disappeared under the radar a bit because everyone was just listening to what Lando had to say, uh, and had Pierre Gasly on there as well. So. Yeah, I had I had three three with friends essentially at the start, and then three people from F one. So I'm just going to mix it up a bit and, and see what happens. Yeah, no, it's great, absolutely. And I like your name. I'm just looking at it here. The podcast that's not a podcast, <laughs> very original. Yeah. yeah, the podcast that's not a podcast. Podcast, podcast. right? I've seen that at the bottom lots here. Lots <laughs> of podcast. Yeah, um, because it was the first one. Essentially, was just me and Nate uh, and a bunch of uh, Twitter questions, and I hit record on a mic and just kind of like this wasn't meant to be a podcast. It's yeah. just the easiest way to answer all your questions is to record it. And off the back of that, it did okay. And once I'd called it that, it then needed to put it up. You needed a logo, so quickly did one on this website, and that was it. Once you've done it, you just kind of keep going. Uh, so I have to admit already that it is quite clearly now 
a form of podcast, but um, it has this stupid long name that, yeah, I'm going to regret, I know, but never mind. <laughs> It'd be a little, a little bit harder to print t-shirts with that name, but, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah. It's not catchy, it. is it? I can't, really, I can't really cut it down. There's going to be no one who's got that, like, logo or anything like that, so... Um, but ne- never mind. It's, it's not to make money or anything like that. It's just uh, just a bit of fun at the moment and to hopefully provide some insight. And I'll see what I can do as racing starts up again, if I can keep it running. But if not, there's actually another sort of project, uh, a sort of podcast project that I'm working on with some friends in F1 that will be totally different again uh, that we might do instead. So, yeah, lockdown's productive sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. It's like when you're not sleeping in or watching TV and you get a few things done, so it's good. No, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you started one because I always enjoy your, your insights and the tweets. And when the whole Australia thing was going down, you're the one that I was following the most because you had pretty much the most up-to-date. I didn't think you slept for like, what, two days in that whole thing, right? Yeah, that that hurt yeah thursday night through to friday night basically uh, i didn't sleep at all um and then at friday night i stayed up again went and had dinner with a few friends oh no no i went i went to bed about eight o'clock i think or seven o'clock on friday for like an hour got a power nap in and i went for dinner stayed up to go to the airport for an early morning flight so um yeah it was brutal but it's because we kept being told stuff was going to come out stuff was going to happen uh, obviously on that side of the world with the time zone difference it was uh there was an appetite for information in europe and in north america so yeah it was uh, it was a long long spell but um glad glad it's behind us now yeah absolutely um so just before we let you go tell the people where they can find your podcast and where they can find uh, your articles as well and, and social media and things like that uh, will do thank you very much for the the plug opportunity and also i'm going to keep doing podcasts like this too because i really enjoy doing them so it's not for me to stop talking to other people but um yeah it's called the podcast it's not a podcast podcast and it's on uh, apple podcasts spotify uh, it's direct on podbean for some reason it won't appear on google podcasts at the moment but i just haven't managed to fix that yet uh, and then my writing all appears on racer.com uh, in north america and obviously you can read that worldwide and motorsport magazine um in the uk shaker any final thoughts no, that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a great interview. We got a lot of information. Thanks, thanks for coming on. That's all right. Thanks for having me. It's always good fun to do. And um, glad it wasn't quite such a noisy cafe this time, even though <laughs> I would kill to be able to go to New York right now. Yeah, yeah. What a crazy... Yeah, if you would have told me that when we did that in October, that this would be the, the next time we would talk, I would not have believed you, that's for sure. <laughs> and we'd have had hardly any racing since then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, But anyways, man, always great to talk to you. We really, really do appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll catch up sometime soon when we find out some other info. And uh, hopefully one day we'll be able to uh, chat in person at a track someday. Sounds good. Look forward to it. All right, you it'll take be care. Co- it'll, be, it, it'll be in Montreal and it'll be freezing. <laughs> yeah. Bring, in October. Bring your snowshoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy some. Yeah. I'll buy some yeah. we'll, we'll have some ready for you. Awesome. Yeah. Get, get me out there. I'm, I'm down for this. I'm going to start lobbying for it now. Perfect. So, so will we. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, man. You take Cool. care of yourself. All the best. You guys have too. Thanks one. very much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.